For those of you that don't know me, my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater Church. So thankful that you're here today. If you have any questions at all after the service, please come talk to me. Particularly if I didn't get to meet you before the service. I know I met a few people before the service, but um, come meet me afterwards. And then as I say so often here, please, if you have any questions at all, please come find me and ask those questions. We want this to be a very safe place to just be wherever you are. Like to not have to come in here pretend. If you're doing awesome, praise God for that. If you're struggling with with your faith, if you're struggling in life, whatever, man, you are where you are, and this is supposed to be a family where we move forward together. So please come find me. Please come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you, talk with you. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's kind of towards the beginning, third book in the Bible, um, Le- Le- Leviticus 14. So I'm just going to say this really quickly, but we're going to roll it out sooner. Um, particularly if you're on Planning Center, and you know what that means when I say planning center at our church? It's what we kind of use to organize things. If you've ever served in His Kids or other places, you'd be on planning center. We're going to start using a new app based in planning center called Church Center. Did I get that right, Dustin? So I'm gonna, we're going to roll it out as a church, right? But some of your life groups are going to start using it. Men and Women's Discipleship is going to start using it. So I just want to encourage you, download Church Center. Um, and again, we're going to roll it out as a church and we're going to give it more information. But if you're already in Planning Center, it works really, really well. And so that's an app you can download in, in Church Center and um, plug in your information really quick. And if you've ever been in Planning Center, it'll pop right up. Right, right up. If you've never been in Planning Center, it, it may take a little bit more work, but I think you can go ahead and try it. But I, I just want as many people to start downloading it and kind of have it on your phone and get ready for it. Because in the future, that is what we're going to communicate through. There may be stuff on social media about what we're doing. We may announce it from the front. We'll probably so we'll still use the website, but in the end, when you sign up for things, communicate with your life groups for men and women's discipleship, for outreach, for all things that are church-related, we're going to use this app. And let me just tell you, it works great. I can't believe how great it works because when I just found out it works through Planning Center, I, I thought it was going to drive me crazy. It's super efficient. It works really well. Everything's right up front. Really click, click. Like signing up for outreach on the website, it was just too many steps and people didn't do it. Right, right now, when you go on Church Center, you just click on this button, then you click another thing and hit register and it's done. And I think you guys are using Planning Center, right? Elevate Lies. I just, when you're trying to sign up to the give, um, they started using um, Church Center also for Elevate Lives and it's working really well for them too. I, I was pointing at Wendy. She works with Russ and Elevate Lives over there. So um, if you've got questions about Elevate Lives, you don't want to talk to Russ, you can go over and talk to Wendy. She's nicer anyway. Um, anyway, just joking. Shouldn't be sarcastic from the front. Anyway, all right. So Leviticus 19. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to be in Leviticus 19, but I'm going to read four verses from Proverbs alone back to back. So you don't need to turn there. We're going to put them all on the screen, but here's the first one. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 28, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Like think about what that just said for a second. Whoever oppresses the poor insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him honors him. Today we're in week two of our five-week series that we're calling Ambassadors. And any, any idea what we might be talking about today? Right, so before we jump into that, last week, you know what? I've got to turn on airplane mode. Someone's texted me. This is not working for me. 
So, no, I can't get in text while I'm trying to preach the Word of God. No, I don't like that. So, last week we began this series in our, kind of our founda- foundational text, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. And what we really looked at is what, what it means to be a new creation in Christ. Right? The old has passed away. We have been made new in Christ. And, and so often we operate as, we're, as if we're still people of the flesh. Right? We're still people of the world. We're still enslaved to our sins or our passions or our desires or whatever else. But God has made us new. He, he has done away with the old. And so, so often in our faith we, have strugg- we struggle to hold on to that. But that's the thing that we really need to hold on to. Who God is and what he has done to make us his children. To make us new. To not make us those old people. And so hard, it's so hard for us to believe leave that truth, to walk on that, walk in that truth. And so what we talked about is, one, we've got to hold on to that for ourselves, right? We've got to hold on to that desperately for ourselves of who we are, people of the Spirit, but also we've got to hold on to that for each other. Because, hey, listen, there's some people that, that tend to, to sin once in a while in this room, right? Welcome to the club, right? We're seeking holiness, but we're not perfect. And so sometimes people aren't going to do exactly what they should do. They're not going to always do the godly thing. And that's where grace and mercy and kindness and patience and peace and understanding and compassion and all those things come in to the church because we, we're to be a reflection of that to each other first and foremost. God goes as far as to say, how you love each other will let the world know that you're my disciples. We'll let the world know that you love me. How we treat each other in the church. It's got to start in our own hearts and within the family right here. And then, of course, this is called ambassadors for Christ, right? Representative of Christ. Then it will pour out of our church, out of our health, into our community, into those we serve, into those we're trying to reach. And they'll see that health and they'll want to be a part of it. So that's where we landed. Like, everything else we talk about this week, obviously we're going to be talking about the poor this week. We can't start with we're supposed to love the poor. Because it's just too hard. Well, we're going to fail at it eventually. We start with who God is, who we are in Christ, and how we can love each other right here, rich or poor, within our own church building, and let that pour out of here into a hurting world. Now, saying all that, outside of God's love for us, and the way he's called us to love each other, there may be no clear way in Scripture to display what God loves look like, looks like than his love for the poor. Do you know there is over 2,000 verses, 2,000 in Scripture about our need to love and serve the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan? 2,000. Loving the poor is not simply something that God is asking us to do. Loving the poor and powerless is who God is. Do Do you hear me on that? It's who our God is, not something he's asking us to do. A pastor named Timothy Keller once said this in his book, A Reason for God. He said, God so identifies with the poor that their cries express divine pain. The Bible teaches us that our treatment of them equals our treatment of God. And we're going to talk about the passage he's basically quoting there here in a little while. This series is called Ambassadors, and it's, and it's about God's call on us to take the gospel into the world. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the lost, and we're going to talk about how we serve our community, and we're going to talk about taking the gospel to the nations. All, we're going to talk about all of those things that, that first come into our mind when we think of, at least some of us, when we think about what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. But I want us to see that this week, loving the poor and serving the needy and engaging with the hurting in the, in the world is right at the heart of who God is. 
It's right at the heart of who he is. And loving the poor, serving the needy, loving the orphan, loving the widow is a way for us to engage into the world as ambassadors of Christ in a very real, very practical way. Yes, we always want to get to the gospel. Have you ever heard me say this? The kingdom of God does not come by us packing a backpack for kids. That's not the kingdom of God coming to earth. That's a really good thing to do, and it displays the love of God. The kingdom of God comes to earth through Jesus Christ alone. That's how the Bible describes the kingdom. Have you ever heard somebody say, we're going we're to plant a garden for the kingdom of God? We're gonna, that, that's actually probably accurate. We're going to plant a garden to bring the kingdom of God. Planting a garden does not bring the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ brings the kingdom of God. Right, but is planting a garden for the good of the community and, and so people can be fed and so you can engage with your neighbors and then eventually share the gospel with them? Is that a godly kingdom of God type of thing to do? Yes and amen. And so loving the poor is not the answer. That's not what we're communicating today. But loving the poor is a tremendous way for us to be ambassadors for Christ, to display, to represent who he is so that we might share Jesus who brings the kingdom of God. You with me? And this is so important to God, so important in the word. We have to take this seriously. We have to take this seriously. So today I'm going to break what my usual pattern is. If you've been to Freshwater for any amount of time, usually I'm going to pick one text and stick in that text for basically the whole sermon and maybe quote some other stuff. But we're, we're going to do it a little differently today because I want you to see from Old Testament all the way in the New Testament, God's kind of love for the poor and his call for us as his ambassadors of how we're supposed to serve the poor. So we're going to start, as I said before, in Leviticus 19. So go ahead and open that up. Man, I'm already out of breath. I'm too worked up today. Whew, I got to take a couple deep breaths. I'm fired up. All right. I don't know about in your Bible, but in my Bible, Leviticus 19.9, the head of that section is love your neighbor as yourself. You ever heard that phrase before? This is where it began. This is what Jesus was, it, from this passage, not the passage we're reading today, but from this passage of scripture is where Jesus was quoting one of the greatest commandments to love your neighbor as yourself, or the greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor. Look at verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Did you hear that? Now remember, this is the, the law for the Israelites, right? For the Hebrew people. And, and if you remember, the reason things like this make sense is because in the Old Testament, when God was laying out his law for his people, his call for them were to be a holy people, meaning a people to be set apart, to be different than the world. And the world did not value the poor. The, the world did not value the needy. Like they were the weak and the strong survived in the world. That's how the world was. But God's telling them to live differently. So according to God's law, according to a way that they can make themselves distinct from the world, is he's saying, like, listen, when you go through your harvest... Gleaning means all the stuff that falls while you're harvesting, don't go gather that up. All the stuff that just falls, just leave it lying there. Not Even more so, when you're, when you're plowing the field or whatever, don't go to the very edge. Leave the edge. Why? So that the poor can come by and glean from that. The poor can come by and they can get food. He, he's literally building into the society. Not just this is just a law that you're supposed to do. He's building into how they operate as a people. That they'll serve and love those who, those who are in need. You see how this is not just something you're supposed to do. He's like, this is, this is who you are supposed to be. I'm building it into the fabric of who you are as a people. 
And then if we kept going in this passage, which we're not today, down, I think, in verse 18 is where it says to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what this is about. There's other pieces of loving your neighbor as yourself. But in this passage, he's saying one of the ways we love our neighbor as ourself is build into who we are a love for the poor, that we give a portion of what we make, what we do for those who are in need. That's who we're supposed to be. But I think someone could say, well, yeah, that's true, but this is the Old Testament, right? This is the Hebrew society. This is the Israelite society. We don't have to, Jesus was the fulfillment of all those laws. We don't have to follow all those laws like that, exactly like that anymore. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But let's jump into the New Testament. Let's actually look at Jesus's words to see what he had to say about loving the poor. So turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, that's the first book in the New Testament. So it's about 75% of the way through your Bible. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we're going to start in verse 31 in a second. But in Matthew 25, this is one of like Jesus' last teachings. He's getting ready to be betrayed. He's getting ready to go to the Last Supper, then be betrayed, then go to the cross. And this is something that he, he teaches his disciples. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty serious, but it has something really important to say. So let's start in Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. When's this talking about? When is this? Second coming, right? This is at the end. This is when Jesus returns to make all things new. Verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations... And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous believers will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left, the goats, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Like I said, that's, that's a tough passage, right? That's a, that's a heavy text. And we're not going to, we could spend so much time in this text. Like we could, do, we could do a series just in that text alone. We're not going to spend a ton of time here today. But for those of us that struggle with the concept of hell, listen, I get it. Hell is a hard thing to fully wrap our minds around, right? Eternal punishment, that's a difficult thing. That's, that's a thing that's kept people from coming to the faith because they can't wrap their mind around it, right? And I get that, but I just, want you to, I just want you to hear from me very clearly, like that hell is a real place. No one in the Bible talks about hell more than Jesus. 
No one talks about eternal punishment more than Jesus. Jesus, everyone thinks that Jesus is the God of love. Jesus is love and peace and patience and kindness. And he is, yes and amen. But he's also the God who is going to return one day in judgment and separate people one from another. And he uses the word here. He uses eternal punishment. He says the place for Satan and his demons. He talks about this fiery place. Hell is real and it's serious. And it's one of the reasons we must be ambassadors for Christ. We mu- everything is on the line. We're talking about men's group this week. I think Aaron said something great. Man, I need to learn more and more to live in the light of eternity. Right? And so when we get hopeless in this life, we live in the light of eternity. For God is promising us an eternal inheritance and salvation. Praise God. But he's also, we've got to live in the light of eternity. That people are going to hell if they don't know Jesus. And all they have to do is call on his name and believe. God did not make this process complicated. To believe. Hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place, and we need to live in the light of eternity every single day. But that's a whole nother sermon, right? But let's get back to what we're, the point we're making today. How is Christ pointing out that these people are going to be separated from sheep to goats? In the passage, he separates them by how they love the poor and the needy. Is that not crazy? Especially if we know the gospel. Is that not a crazy statement? Now, I just want to be clear about something. Jesus and the whole rest of the Bible make it very clear. Listen, crystal clear that we are not saved by our good deeds. The the Bible makes that crystal clear. So it cannot be what Jesus is saying. We are saved by Jesus Christ's free gift of grace. That's how we're saved. By faith in his free gift of grace. So what is, if he's not saying you're you're saved because you love the poor, what what is he saying? The point is that, um, God is not saying, if you love the poor, then you will be saved. The point is, is not how we are saved at all. Do you see that? That's not the point that Jesus made. He's not making a point of how we are saved, but what those who are saved will do. What his children, what his sheep as the shepherd, what they will do, who they will be. As we read from that quote from Keller at the beginning, God so identifies with the poor and the needing that our treatment of them is paramount to our treatment of him. One of the fruits of our life that will prove in our own hearts and will prove to a watching world that we truly are disciples of Christ is how we love the poor and the needy. And you know what I love about this passage in Matthew 25? Is the believers here didn't even really know what they'd done. Did you see that? Like, Jesus, when did we do this for you? And he's talking about the pattern of their life. That showed they really did love him. That they really were his people. Listen, I know that you love me. Because you did this. And you love the poor. And you serve the needy. And you did all of these things. And you, I know you did it for your love for me. So come on in. You're a part of my family. I know that you love me. Come on in. But the people who did not serve the poor. It wasn't that they didn't serve the poor. Therefore, they're going to hell. It was a reflection of who they were. That's what we're talking about this series. Not so much what we're supposed to do. But who we are in Christ. And if, if we truly are in Christ then we should have a love for the poor and the needy and the hurting because God loves them so dearly. It's who God is. And if we're in him, it's who we must be. It's who we must be. Now we'll keep talking about this. Like we we go through 
sanctification, right, through our lives. Like, God has made us new, but our lives is more and more realizing that we're not people of the flesh and people of the Spirit. So there's going to be all sorts of things in our lives that we're not, we're not living up to what Christ has called us to do. But what, we need things like this as a realization, man, I know I'm a believer, but I know that I haven't been investing in the poor. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're not a believer. It's you recognizing God's heart and the heart that's been built into you already as a person of the Spirit so that you can pursue these things. So you can remember who you are in Christ, not primarily what you're to do in Christ. Now, something else about this passage. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus here in Matthew was talking about the poor in general, or was he a little bit more specific? I think it encompasses the poor in general, but did you see who he's really talking to? He says, you did it for the least of these, my brothers. He's talking about loving those who are in need, those who are poor in your family first, in your church family first. Do you see a pattern that we're developing through the series? Of course, we're supposed to love the poor and the needy outside of this family, outside of these walls. Yes and amen, all the scripture speaks to that. But it's supposed to start right here. Everything is an outflow of our love for God and our love for each other. John, one of the closest disciples to Jesus said it like this in 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He's meaning the family of God. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's the real question, right? That's the, that's the real question that we have to, we have to kind of reconcile in our, in our heart. How could God's love really dwell in you if, if you're not first and foremost taking care of those in your family, loving those in your family? Maybe that might be personally or a relationship or financially, helping those in your family through, through the church, through your family here. And then secondarily, how could God's love dwell in you if you're not engaging with the hurting for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Deeds and truth, right? Words and action. We need both. We've got to be willing to tell people about Jesus, but also be the hands and feet of Jesus to show them how Jesus loves them. We're supposed to do both of these things. And so I I don't even know if you're aware of this church, because we don't talk about it. Maybe we don't talk about it enough, because that's not what it's about. But but over time, um, your giving has done a tremendous amount to help families in need within this church family. Did you know that? We don't talk about it a lot because remember the scripture says when you give, don't let your right hand see what your left hand is doing. So we don't want to stand up here and talk about how awesome our church is for helping each other. But church, you're, you're awesome. You take care of each other. You know, there's not only do we have it from the church budget, but there's never been a time when someone was in need and I brought it up to a few people at church. They didn't immediately get together and raise the finances to help out another family. It's never happened where we had to hesitate. Right? What I mean, you guys know the heart of this church. We're not just throwing money around. But listen, things come up in life, don't they? Like, especially with COVID, there's been people that have not been able to work, and they couldn't work, and they did not get paid. And we said from the very beginning of COVID, nobody is losing their house because of COVID. We're not going to allow that to happen at our church. Whatever we need to do to make sure people are okay, we're going to support them and love them. And so there's been times when that's happened. There's been times when single, single people, single moms have, have been struggling in our church. And we're right there to step in. There's been times where our leaders were struggling for one reason or another. We always want to be ready to step in. There's even been leaders in our church, and I'm not going to look at them right now, if they happen to be in this room, that we said, don't you dare struggle, or don't you dare stay home because you, for example, you don't have enough gas money to get to church. 
If you don't have enough gas money to get to church, especially if we know that you're doing your best, but you just don't have the finances because things have happened, you call me immediately. We'll make sure that you get here. Why? We don't ever want somebody not to be able to come to a church event or not be able to come to church because they don't have the gas money because something really difficult has happened in their life. We are here for each other. And you guys do an amazing job. Our, de- our deacons in particular do an amazing job of hearing about the needs and jumping in on those needs and making good and wise decisions. Praise God for your generosity because it goes to loving our church well. But we also give a significant amount to our neighbors in need, particularly on the northwest side of Springfield. Right, we decided, what, a couple of years back, Corey, that we can't, we can't love the whole city. Like, we're just, we're a small church, right? So when people in need come from particularly Tom Watkins' neighborhood of this northwest section, man, we, we budget quite a bit of money to be able to help people and to engage in that. And we always try to do it in a way that we build relationships with them. We make connections. We, we, we get their number. We try to follow up. We try to make connections with people as we do things like that. Because it's not about the money. It's about being ambassadors for Christ and showing the love of God and trying to engage in a way we can build relationships so that we can one day welcome them into this family, into God's family. Every year we do things like at Williams, like where we ready, set, supply, where we give the kids school supplies. Like, you know, Williams is like, I think 96% now free and reduced lunch. You know how much the supplies cost now for, for one family? Isn't it like $300 per family for supplies for elementary school? So we've, we've been able to step in that. And for the last three years, we take care of those supplies with other partnerships. We don't pay for everything. We don't do everything. But we step in and help with supplies because of your generosity. And she's not here today, but also because of people like Lauren Rogers, who loves the poor. And she filled out grants for us to get money from grant money that was just sitting out there. And so now we got a $2,000 grant that's going to pay for basically all the kids' school supplies. It's not going to even come out of our church budget because there's people in our church that love the poor and will use their, not just their money, but their gifts and talents and, to, and their time to pour out so other people can be helped. And we do things like we spend our money on things like block parties and back-to-school bashes and things at John B. Hughes. Why? So that we can engage those who are in need and show them the love of Christ. If we never make it to Jesus Christ and the gospel, then we're, doing, we're just doing good things. But if we're doing it right, those good things, that engagement will help us get to the gospel of Jesus Christ where people will actually want to hear it, can hear it, because they've seen our love for, our love for God, they've seen our love for each other, and they've seen our love for the community, and they think, why is that person different? There's something that happens that allows through God serving and loving the poor. You know, it's not a coincidence that I asked Russ to get up here today and talk about this. This is exactly what Elevate Lives is trying to do. Not make a bunch of money, but to get these houses at a discounted rate. Nobody does this. Nobody rents houses that are, are new, like those beautiful houses that they have for three, four, five hundred dollars less than market value. You can't make money that way. They charge how much they charge is because that's how you make money. But Russ has decided, I'm going to give my life to serve and love these exact people that God is talking about, people who are willing to take a step forward, right, who want to engage in a different way, and he's giving them a way to engage in this. If you haven't gotten involved with Elevate Lives, I encourage you to. If you haven't given to Elevate Your Lives, I encourage you to, because this is the thing that we're talking about. This is the kinds of things that we're talking about. Be a part of what God is doing on our city to show the poor that he loves them. So one of the most tangible ways God has given us to show the world his love is by caring for those in need in this family first and then that love spilling out of this family into our communities, into our lives so people might see the love of God. It's one of the best ways for us, one of the most tangible ways for us to be ambassadors for Christ.
But here's the thing. I keep talking about the poor, right? The poor, like it's something out there. The reality is that God is not just asking us to be a people and individuals that center our lives and our, our generosity around the poor, but realizing that poverty is something that unites every single one of us together. Poverty is something that unites all of us. Do you know what I'm talking about? Flip over to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Go right in your Bibles from Matthew a few chapters. If you're still in Matthew. Luke chapter 6. And this is a, a time when Jesus has gathered a huge crowd. He's kind of the new guy on the New guy on the street, everybody's interested to hear what Jesus has to say. They've never heard somebody teach like Jesus, Jesus teaches. In Luke 16, verse 17, we see one of those times where Jesus sits down and teaches. I'm going to give you the first few, few verses just as an introduction so you can see what's happening, and then we'll get to the main verse in verse 20. Luke 6, verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out, of him, out from him and healed them all. Man, I wish I could have seen that. That's just amazing. I just wanted to touch him. I love it. Verse 20. This is when Jesus starts teaching. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So huge crowds gather, right? They all sit, they want to hear this amazing new teacher, and he starts off teaching, what's the first thing he says? Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. I can't imagine how that must have hurt to people, because in, in Hebrew society, the poor just weren't really that, all that highly valued. In Roman society, which this is not Roman society, but they're under Roman oppression by this time. In Roman society, the poor are not valued at all. They're outcasts. But Jesus starts with blessed. Listen, fortunate. That's what that means. Fortunate are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. That's a bold statement, right? Now, was Jesus talking about the materially poor, materially poor worldly poor, or the spiritually poor? Did you say yes? That's the answer, right? Yes. Yes. I think the answer is yes, because we, we've already seen it today, but we see clearly from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament just how much God, how much Jesus loves the materially poor. And, and Jesus went around healing and spending time with, with poor, people who were worldly poor all the time. A lot of the first believers, do you know this? A lot. A lot of the first believers were poor because the gospel connected with them. They were cast off. Right? They were cast aside. The people that were desperate or had no hope, and the God of the universe was telling them how much he loved them, how much he wanted them. But you know why else the gospel connects with the poor? Because wealth dangerously hides our need for God. Comfort dangerously hides our need for God. It's why being an American Christian right now in particular is so dangerous. When you have wealth, wealth gives you a sense of control. It gives you a sense of security, and it can mask your actual need for God. 
It's why so many people have had wake-up calls to, to draw them back to God. So many people have had to go through these really difficult things that led to their salvation. Not, not, that's not all of our stories, but so many people come back to God through really, really hard things happening. Because when something really hard happens, when things start getting taken away from you, like with, that, like with the woman's story that Russ shared today, when everything gets taken away from you, you realize just how desperate you are. You realize that this, uh, this idea of control is an illusion. There are times when your life goes exactly like you think it will. And there are times in your life where everything you thought you had is ripped away in a moment. And then you just, you just don't know. When my dad, my dad died of cancer when I was 15, my entire life changed. My family started to fall apart. My mom wasn't the same person she used to be. Everything that I thought my life was going to be was from that point on completely different. And some of you have been through those types of things. The job you always wanted, the career you always wanted, losing a parent, losing a child, losing what, whatever you hold dear to that makes you feel like you have a sense of control can be ripped away from you in a moment. That's why the poor connected with the gospel, they already saw their desperation. They were already very aware of their need. It wasn't masked by wealth or comfort. And they could see, I am desperate in this this man is saying that God loves me and he's desperate for me and he wants to come into that desperation and give me everything I, I need. I want to listen to this man. I want to listen to this man because they could see the hope. Because the poor don't have that sense of control. They don't have that safety net. They don't have that false sense of security. And the gospel resonates with those who are in need. Who are in need. But was Jesus only talking about the worldly poor, the materially poor? No, in another passage, which may have been the same sermon, which may have not been the same sermon, but another time when Jesus stood up with a huge crowd. We call this one the Sermon on the Mount, right? A huge crowd. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in what? Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Church, when most of us hear the word poverty, we think of a lack of worldly goods. And that's not wrong, and I, I completely understand that. I do too. But when you leave it at that, like that's the only thing that poverty is, it can create, create this us and them mentality, right? Us and them, the haves and, and the have-nots. This division that just doesn't need to be there. And that, that's where, as Christians, we can get to the place where we don't, really, we don't really care or engage with the poor. If you don't happen to be poor, which every church should have people with money and without money, the poor and the rich, that, the church should be a diverse place where all of that's there, but sometimes our churches become country clubs. Is that not true? A country club where I go to see what I can get out of it? What I can get so I can feel good the rest of the week? When church is not meant to be a country club, it's where we come and we give a worship to, to God and serve each other? But church has become this place where it's like, oh, um, yeah, that's them. That's not, that's not who we are as a church. We don't engage with those kinds of things. What? It can create an us and them, or it can create a church mentality where deep down you might not say us and them, but there is an us and them because you don't actually go and serve and give your life to this. You just throw money at problems. Because that's a whole lot easier, isn't it? But when Jesus is talking about how we engage with the poor, do you think, you think his, his point is, hey, throw some money to make sure that the poor get some stuff? I'm not saying every church operates that way, but is that not the way so often the American church operates? I, I'm not going to get, I'm not trying to make a political statement, right? But has, has been throwing as much money as we can at the poor for the last 30 years decreased poverty? Has it really changed a whole lot? Springfield's been doing it for a while and poverty rates are as high as they've ever been. 
And the city's realizing we got to do something different. That's why they've been open for the last eight to ten years, but particularly the last five years of working with churches because they've, there's been city officials admit the things that we're trying to do, throwing money and food at the problem, it's not, it's not working. Is feeding the poor a good thing? Yes. Is it the answer? No. The thing that unites us all is outside of Jesus Christ, we are all impoverished. We are all beggars. We are all spiritually poor. We all need Jesus to come into our lives because without him, we have nothing to offer. All we have is desperation. We saw in Matthew 25 how serious this is, right? This is heaven and hell on the line. And without Jesus Christ, what we have waiting for us in our spiritual poverty is hell. But Jesus steps into that and says, no, I love you and I want you and I will engage in that desperation with you. In Jesus Christ, if we understand who we are and who he is, there is no us in them. There is just us. Because we are all desperate for Jesus Christ to engage in our lives. And so when we engage with people, who cares if they have money or they don't have money? In the end, we all need the exact same thing. We're all spiritually poor without Christ. And he is promising us abounding wealth and abounding inheritance in him. Not money, an eternal inheritance of knowing him, worshiping his love being poured out on us richly, lavishly, as the word of God says. That's who God wants to be for you. He wants to lavish his goodness on you because he knows you're spiritually poor. And he's not wagging his finger at you saying, why aren't you better? He's saying, I know about your poverty and I've come down from heaven to earth to engage in that poverty with you because I want you to know the riches of my grace, how much I love you and the inheritance I have waiting for you. Oh, what a good God we have. And if we, when we engage with people, we don't look at them as they have or they do not have, but we all need. It changes everything. There's no us in them. It's just us. Because for all of us, we are spiritually poor. And if we come to Christ in that poverty, ours is the kingdom of God. Ours is the kingdom of God. That's what he wants to give us. And it just blows that, that idea of us and them out of the water. We just engage and we thank God for the blessings that we have in our lives. Church, as we talked about last week, as we've talked about this week, you are a new creation. You are not, listen, you are not a person of the flesh if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. No matter how you feel on a particular day, no matter what sin or, or thing that you gave into, you are not a person of the flesh in Christ. You are a person of the Spirit. Loving the, therefore, loving the poor is less about what you should do and so much more about who you are. God wants you to know his love for the poor so that you might experience that same love, walk in the same thing he does, and see the joy of serving in the way that he has served us. Jesus Christ came down from heaven to serve us, humble himself so that we could know. And that's what God's calling us to be a part of, a part of his story of redemption. That's what loving the poor is really about, being a part of God's story for redemption. And the spirit is already in you, church. The spirit has already made you new. So if you don't feel that love for the poor, if you don't feel that, that conviction and that stirring to love the poor and to engage in this mission, if you are a believer, it's simply you just not believing who you already are. And that's what you go to God with. That's what you talk to God with. That's what you ask God to change your, not even change your heart because your heart's been changed, to realize that your heart's already been changed and he wants you to walk in this with him. 
to engage in this with him. Ask God to help you see. Ask God to help you walk in this. And ask God to help you experience a love for the poor and needy. And then, then you take responsibility for what God is calling you to and take action. You take responsibility for what God has called you to and take action. Just as John was saying in 1 John, not just words, but deeds and truth. As God is changing you, pursue this, not simply because you're told to, but because your, your love of Christ and the call he's put on your life has impel, is compelling you to be an ambassador that loves in this way. And you're going to need it. You're going to need it, church. You know why? Because loving the poor, particularly those who are materially poor and spiritually poor, is not easy. I'm going to if I'm going to say this. Do you know how many people have come to our church? Young people in particular, but people in general have come to our church and they've seen the work that we do on Facebook. They've seen our engagement with Williams Elementary and Tom Watkins' neighborhood and they've seen how we're genuinely trying to love the poor and they see it on Facebook. And there's the thing in this millennial generation and, and younger that is good. They want their lives to mean something. They don't want to just go slave at a job for their whole life. They want their lives to mean something. Praise God for that. It's a good thing. And I've seen it, right? Like I've said before, I think now the majority of our leadership team is millennials. I love millennials. I love the younger generation of millennials. I can't keep track of all the, the alphabet of it anymore, right? Xers, Gers, Yers, I don't know. But you know what I'm talking about, younger than millennials. They, they want their lives to mean something. Praise God. Praise God, because my, my generation, a little bit older, was really just more concerned about building their empire. So praise God for that. But we've, see, we've had so many youngish people come into our church and see what we do and hear about what we do and be like, ah, oh, I want to get involved in that. I want to be a part of that. And then they, they go and do the things that we do and they engage in the way that we engage and they find out that, hey, this is not some sexy Facebook thing. This is not exciting this is not something for me to plaster on face, Facebook or social media. I know you don't, young people don't use Facebook anymore, but whatever you're using, it's not a thing for me to splash over social media anymore and feel awesome about. Like, this is, this is hard. But in the end, that kind of separates the sheep from the goats, right? And I'm not saying from the lost, from the unbelievers, but the people who are serious about what God's called us to versus not. Like I always say, I don't want this to be a church where you just come and attend. Hey, listen, if you're brand new, if you've been here just a few weeks, I'm only kind of talking to you, but I want you to know who we are as a church and where we're going. We don't want attenders. We want people engaged in the mission that God gave us, and that mission's hard, and it's good and it's worth it, and there's joy, and to see people grow, and the hope on their face, and the light bulb of Christ go off, and people like with working with Russ and Elevate Lives that move from addiction and poverty into flourishing, like it's all amazing, and it's good, but it's not easy. And listen, you're not going to always get a pat on the back for this stuff. And listen, you, you, you could do really great things, and people are not going to always appreciate it. And some are going to take advantage of it. And some are going to abuse it and abuse you. In short, hear me. Some people are going to act like sinners. I think I had this conversation this week. Why are we surprised when lost people act lost? Why are we surprised when people have 
a worldly mentality, act worldly instead of acting like Christ, instead of acting godly. What a beautiful view for us to see in their sin, in their lostness, a place for us to engage, not to be angry or bitter or resentful, but to show the grace of Jesus Christ who gave us what we do not deserve, where we have taken advantage again and again and again and again and again, yet he forgives so that we might know the richness of his grace, the richness of what he's offering us in himself. It's hard, but through loving the poor, materially and spiritually, some will see the love of God. And some will want to listen. And some will long to be a part of the family of God because they will see the way that we love each other and they'll see the way that our love pours out of our church into our community and into them and that will open the door to the thing that is the answer to all of this. The gospel saving them from their spiritual poverty as it saved every one of us. And maybe if you do this, maybe, just maybe, as an ambassador for Christ, you will get to be a piece in the puzzle. You will get to be a part of seeing them go from poverty to eternal wealth in Jesus Christ. And what is better than that? What is better than that? So church, I'm just asking you today to look at your lives. Like, do the honest thing. Look at your bank account. Look at where you spend your time and ask yourself, does my motivations... Does where I invest reflect that I have a love for for the poor, for the hurting, for the needy, for those who God so clearly loves? And if not, listen, come to God and ask him to help you to see. Repent of that and then move forward. But this is all about seeing it, repenting, and moving forward. Ask God to help you see and then listen, make changes in your life. Don't long for it to get better. Make changes in your life because in the end, showing love to the poor is showing love to Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, once again we come to you just wanting to worship you and thanking you for who you are, for the things that you've done, that that Jesus, that you came for us in our spiritual poverty when we didn't have enough to rescue us so that you could lavish your grace on us. What, and it's, God, it's unbelievable. That's who you are. Help us never to get sick of that story. God, help us to worship. Help us to, to long to know you more and more and more because of who you are, because of what you've done, and because of who you've made us to be. But God, we also come to you as we do so often and ask you for help in this. God, I I think for for me, I know for people in the room, we get so wrapped up in all the things we need to do as Christians that it becomes overwhelming. But God, help us to see that you're just trying to create something in us that realizes that this is already who we are. So God, help us to walk in the truth that you love the poor and your spirit is in us so we have everything we need to love the poor. God, give us wisdom on where we can make changes in our life, where we can make changes in our church, we can make changes in our finances, in our time, in our resources, in our gifts, so that we can love as you loved Jesus. God, in short, we're asking you to help us to be people of your spirit, sanctified and renewed to know you more and more so we might reflect your glory as your ambassadors to the world. 
God, I know we can't do this alone. Like the world bombards us too much. It's, it's just too hard. But God, we just praise you that you're with us and for us in this. So help us to come. Help our hearts to genuine change. Help us to be a church that reflects your love so clearly that people can't help ask what is different about that church. Not for freshwater's sake, but God, for the sake of your name and your family. Because this is not our church, Jesus. This is your church. So draw them in, God. Draw them in. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this family. And thank you for your patience and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.